for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to the broadcast. Jim Paris here with you. We are live on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern. And I'm super excited to say hello to everybody that's watching on video tonight. Uh, This is the first night that we've gone, cast a really wide web uh, as far as the video feed goes. I now have a setup here in the studio where I'm on live on about 10 different platforms. I'm on so many platforms. I don't even know. (laughs) I'm on all my Facebook channels. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I'm on D live. I'm on Twitch. I'm on a bunch of video feeds tonight. So if you're new to the show, hello, Jim Paris here. Uh, the main website for the show is jimparisradio.com. My normal website is christianmoney.com. That's where you'll find links to all of my social media as well. Tonight, a super show lined up for you. Even though it's a holiday weekend, we decided let's do it. Let's do a live show, and we're doing that for you tonight. And tonight, it's all about the arrest of Jelaine Maxwell. Joining us tonight in about 25 minutes is author Dylan Howard. He's author of the book, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And he'll be here with us tonight to talk about the arrest of Jelaine Maxwell. Huge story. Uh, It's been almost a year since the uh, suicide. And I put that in quotes for you. Those of you just listening on the audio feed, uh, the suicide of Jeffrey Epstein because who knows if Jeffrey Epstein really killed himself or not. We we still don't really know. I don't know if we'll ever know. But it's been almost a year, and now the other shoe drops, the arrest of Jelaine Maxwell. And uh, this is huge. We're going to talk about that uh, in this first segment, and then we'll transition into our discussion with author Dylan Howard. Now, next week, you want to be here for sure as well, because our special guest is Tony Ortega. He'll be here to talk about Scientology as he usually is. But what's exciting about next week is we're going to have a chance to get into this whole story about the actor Danny Masterson and these rape charges that he's now facing. And in a sort of a a weird twist, how Scientology allegedly tried to uh, try to intimidate Uh, these witnesses from coming forward to make these rape allegations. Um, That is the allegation against Scientology. And we'll be getting into that aspect of it next week when we bring on during the guest segment, our, our guest expert on the topic of Scientology, Tony Ortega is here. Now we continue to do these shows without commercials. The one complaint I still get on my YouTube channel, is that for five years I did this show with commercials. Now, I've been commercial-free for a year and a month. So 13 months now I've been commercial-free. But yet people still go back and listen to the old shows. Then they post nasty messages about there being commercials. 
Um, I was under a network contract and we had to have commercials. It was part of the deal. And I got paid that way as well. So that was all agreed to. No, no complaint here. But once I went independent in June of last year, I decided let's get rid of all the commercials, but I still have to pay for all this. <laughs> so uh, help me not to go broke. Um, and, and there's an easy way to do this. Win-win. I have uh, I restarted my online internet business coaching. I did this from 2008 to 2015, teaching people how they could make money working online. Everything from self-publishing to setting up websites and blogs and affiliate marketing, all of the different ways of making money online. Consider this my 2.0 that I have set up to do this now. I'm really excited about it. What I'm doing is every week I'm teaching a one-hour class that becomes a video that's available on demand 24-7. All of the videos become available uh, on, on unlimited replay that you can watch them over and over and over again. What I did was so that people could try this out to see if it was for them is I set up the first three classes for free. So you can go there right now or maybe you want to do it later after the show is over. Check it out. The first three classes are free. You don't have to give a credit card. You don't have to give your email. Check it out. It's VARS training.com tonight's sponsor v like in victor v a r s training.com tonight's sponsor paying the bills vars training.com that's v a r s training.com all right let's get into it uh so much to talk about regarding the arrest of jelaine maxwell and probably the best article i have found online is over at the new york post and the headline is Jelaine Maxwell arrest armed agents and spy planes used to take down Epstein gal pal. And this is uh, really riveting. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. Armed agents raced a convoy of 15 vehicles through the New Hampshire woods with spy planes buzzing overhead in the moments before they smashed down Ghislaine Maxwell's door and arrested her Thursday. Small planes had started buzzing over Bradford, New Hampshire at 4.20 a.m. on Thursday. And uh, that was four hours before the raid on Maxwell's 156-acre hideaway. And uh, apparently this raid involved 24 armed FBI agents that stormed the property suitably named Tucked Away. That's right. The property is named tucked away. Could it be any better than that? Uh, they were backed by New York cops, local officers, and even New Hampshire's gang task force, the paper said. Um, all that sounds exciting, right? The stuff made of movies, but you wonder, did they really need to go uh, as nuts as that? Uh, <laughs> I mean, was there any thought that she was going to you know, have machine guns ready? I don't know. I wonder about these raids that are made by by the FBI. Uh, the same thing happened with our friend Roger Stone. Uh, you know, he, he at the time, he's almost 70 years old. His wife, I believe, was 71. And uh, they had a massive it was like a small army that showed up at his house. Uh, in this case, they even had planes involved. Uh, but so many things, so many questions I have about this. But let me start by. Uh, mentioning to you that I just posted a new article today over at medium.com talking about the Jelaine Maxwell arrest. But I also get into something 
I think which is pretty interesting. Asking the question, did Jeffrey Epstein hide any of his money in cryptocurrency? And um, I'm, I'm just speculating in the article, but I think you'll find it interesting. It's over at medium.com. And uh, you can find me at medium.com. Just type in my author name, which is James L. Paris. I say that because the show is Jim Paris Live. All my friends call me Jim. My friends in Chicago all call me Jimmy. That's my gangster name. If you ever hear me call Jimmy, be careful because that is my gangster name. <laughs> but in any case, my official author name is James L. Parrish. You'll find me under that name, of course, over at Amazon, but also over at my new column, which is at medium.com. So you can check out the article today about Jeffrey Epstein and my thoughts about the possibility that he could have hid money in cryptocurrency. But I want to talk about this property purchase in this little town of uh, Bradford, New Hampshire. Uh, and boy, I've got pictures up here and everything. Uh, for those of you that watch the video replay, you're going to see the pictures right now because in post-production, I'll put in all the, the pictures. But uh, as we're live tonight, um, I'll just describe this to you. Uh, it is a 156 acre property. Uh, now that's big. Now, just to give you a, a concept of where this is, it's basically in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's described here as being 90 minutes from Boston and uh, four hours from New York City or four hours from Montreal, Canada, uh, just to give you an idea. So it's in New Hampshire. It's in the uh, central part of New Hampshire, and it's in the, literally in a town that has 1,600 residents. So this is a, you know, the, the name of the property, the estate, the compound is called Tucked Away. And uh, that would adequately describe it. Apparently bought from a, uh, a very wealthy attorney. But what's interesting about this sale, I looked into, you know, the details of all of this being a financial guy. And, you know, here we are on the one hand being told that Jelaine Maxwell is on the run. She's on the lamb. She's, you know, moving all around the world uh, trying to evade law enforcement. I don't know how true that is. That's, of course, the media speculating that she's on the lam, that she's on the run. Maybe the FBI and law enforcement knew where she was all the time. I don't know. Uh, but I do think it's kind of an interesting and bold move that she would go out and buy real estate. Um, you know, if you don't want to be found, maybe you don't buy a $1 million piece of real estate. But it is interesting how she went about making this purchase. So the purchase was for $1.07 million, and she used an LLC, uh, a limited liability company, uh, to remain anonymous. So this is what rich people do. This is what movie stars do when they buy a property. They either purchase it in the name of, of a straw purchaser. Um, they use some kind of a trust, some kind of a corporate entity, or in this case, she used an LLC. And she paid cash. Now, I don't think they meant literally physical cash like Barack Obama paid to the Iranians. There was no, you know, big pallet of cash for a million dollars at the closing. Uh, but she didn't use a mortgage is what they're saying. So it was paid for without financing. And it was titled in the name of a limited liability company so that she could remain anonymous. 
One thing I saw in the article, I read several articles on this, but one thing in particular that, that I thought was very interesting and the realtor that sold the property uh, mentioned uh, to reporters is that uh, apparently the question was asked, how much air traffic is there that travels over the property? Hmm. You got to wonder, I guess maybe you're worried about maybe the noise of airplanes, but it almost seems like maybe that was part of the plan of hiding out, uh, you know, hiding out by, uh, you know, wanting to, um, you know, be in, this was such a remote area. You've got to think that maybe somewhere there was the plan that she could just hide out here indefinitely. I don't know, but it is interesting to note that the people in town, this, this is a small town, remember, of just 1,600 people, okay? And this is really out in the middle of nowhere. When you're, you build, you know, you have a house that's, uh, you know, with 160 acres around it, this is a really big area, and you could really hide out here. And apparently no one in this town that they talked to even knew who she was or even knew that she was there. So this is sort of a rude awakening to people in this this small town. I mean, who's ever heard of Bradford, New Hampshire, Bradford, New Hampshire. And now it's, it's, as I say in my article at, at medium.com today, I said, this is a better hideout than the bat cave. I mean, if you think about it, 160 acres, heavily wooded. And by the way, I've got, I've got pictures of the house up uh, and people that see the, uh, the post-production of the video that goes out tomorrow, they'll, they'll see all this, but what a beautiful place. I have to say, I've got to put my former realtor hat on now and say, wow, this is impeccable. I, I almost want to sort of give you the, the realtor tour. Uh, so here's the master bath in the master bedroom. Oh, I forgot. We're not, we can't use master bathroom, master bedroom anymore. Uh, but uh, the place is beautiful. It's uh, It looks like a lot of cedar wood. Uh, this, the, the ceilings look to their vaulted ceilings. Uh, it looks like cedar wood. Uh, incredible, huge, uh, windows looking out onto a mountain. The floors are all wood floors. Uh, of course, as you would imagine, a giant, uh, stone fireplace that you would expect in a place like this, just incredible. And, uh, I'll give you here the uh, full description. Uh, so the official property address, if you want to look this up on Zillow or online is 338 East Washington Road, Bradford, New Hampshire. Sales price one thousand. Oh, I'm sorry, one million seventy thousand dollars. It is a four-bedroom, four-bath home. I'd almost describe it as a chalet type of a style to it, both inside and out. Using my, you know, my realtor. Uh, hat here again four bedrooms four baths it's almost like i want robin leach here lifestyles of the rich and famous four bedrooms four baths four thousand three hundred and sixty five square feet so this might be considered like a small cottage compared to some of the places maybe that she lived in with epstein but here's the description this stunning custom designed timber frame home is an amazing retreat is an amazing retreat for the nature lover lover for the nature lover who also wants total privacy wow <laughs> if the shoe fits right for the nature lover who also wants total privacy from every room there are views of the mount 
Sunapee foothills to the west. From the covered front porch, enter the great room with a floor-to-ceiling, fieldstone fireplace, cathedral ceiling, and a spectacular chandelier, a wall of glass frames, a stunning southwestern view beyond the stone patio. It goes on and on and on. There's a six-burner stove with two wolf ovens. I don't know what a wolf oven is. I guess if you're going to cook wolf, you've got to have a wolf oven. I'm sure it's something that I just can't afford. I've never, I've never been out shopping for a wolf oven. You know, I've, I've, I go up to Lowe's and just get a regular oven. What's the cheapest you have? That's usually what I buy. Um, the Sub-Zero fridge and breakfast bar, an extensive counter, uh, blah, blah, blah. There's a generator and, of course, air conditioning. There's a garage with plenty of storage. It's described as, uh, as charming. Uh, oh, there, there's, a barn, there's a barn involved here. Get this. It comes with a fabulous barn that is uh, suitable for square dances and hoedowns. I'm not kidding. Uh, the barn is suitable for square dances and hoedowns. Uh, do si do. Bow to your partner. Bow to your corner. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. I, I doubt there were any hoedowns uh, there. And, and, uh, no, no pun intended or any of that nonsense or any square dancing that was going on there, but it was, it was her hideout. Um, man. Um, so there's still so many questions here, right? So did Jelaine Maxwell, did she move into this place thinking that she was never going to be found there? Um, was she thinking somehow that law enforcement was not, really interested in her any longer um i'm not sure she could think any of that uh it's it's hard to really understand i mean if i wanted to hide out i guess this might be one option to buy a big place with 160 acres if i had the money to do that if you had a million dollars laying around but then again you know when you move a million dollars um there you know the u.s has all these bankruptcy i'm sorry uh, banking laws bank secrecy laws and you move a million dollars people are going to know that you're alive and breathing and probably figure out where you're at especially if they're trying to to find you uh the feds uh so i'm not sure how smart a move this was but you have to wonder did she really know that the feds were still interested in her that she might be facing arrest uh, at some point i mean after all let's think about it it's been it's been what a year and and a couple of months since Epstein was arrested. Uh, it's been a a year, almost a year since Epstein died. Maybe she thought or was just being hopeful that she was not going to be pursued uh, by law enforcement. Uh, there still are some you know nagging questions about Epstein's possible ties to intelligence. Remember what Alex Acosta said, the former uh, prosecutor for the uh, U.S. uh, Southern District of Florida. He said that he was told to keep hands off of Epstein because he was uh, tied to the intelligence community. And those similar rumors have been made about Jelaine Maxwell being tied to the intelligence community. So, you know, we just don't know. Um, We also have to ask how much money does Jelaine Maxwell have? I mean, if you've got a million dollars to throw down to just buy outright a place like this 
and, and, and it would make sense, right? If she was, in fact, Epstein's right-hand man or right-hand woman, that she would have millions of dollars of her own. I mean, we know Epstein, at least what he uh, claimed in his probate estate, is like $550 million uh, of net worth. So you'd have to think that Jelaine Maxwell would have to have a few million. So this also raises questions, too, about how much money that she has. So the real question tonight is, will Jelaine Maxwell, will she make a deal? I don't see any option otherwise. I don't see her going off to prison, staying quiet. I think her only option to stay out of prison and to stay alive would be to spill the beans. And as much as we all thought that all of those secrets went to the grave with Jeffrey Epstein, whether he was killed or whether he committed suicide, Jelaine Maxwell, I have to believe, knows all the secrets and she knows who all was involved and could absolutely be that person that becomes a witness for the government and takes down a lot of people. Uh, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of people, uh, you know, former presidents. <laughs> we're talking about corporate CEOs. We're talking about people like Prince Andrew and on and on and on. I mean, she knows the whole deal on all of this, whether or not there were videotapes, where Epstein's real money came from. And that's what I get into really in my article today in medium.com, which is the key to this whole deal, in my opinion, is where did Epstein's money come from? I mean, he says he was some type of a, a financial manager, but nobody can find any clients except for one, Les Wexner. That's the only client. Uh, something doesn't add up with where all this money came from. I think once we find out where the money came from, we're going to know the rest of the story with Epstein. But it seems to me to be pretty, pretty much straightforward what's going to have to happen here. And everybody's there's so many people already speculating that uh, Jelaine Maxwell is going to meet the same fate as Jeffrey Epstein that she's going to, and I'm using quotes here for those uh, listening just on the audio stream, she's going to commit suicide. That's what people are predicting. They predicted that with Epstein. I thought there's no way they're going to let that happen, but then it happened. I, I, I think it would be beyond belief if it happened in the case of Jelaine Maxwell, but if she lives to tell the story, what a story it will be. And uh, so many questions, including could Prince Andrew be extradited from the United Kingdom and have to face charges in the United States. That would be unprecedented. And you just wonder, in fact, would the royal family allow such a thing to happen? Would they allow a member of the royal family to be extradited? Would the UK uh, go go for that? I mean, would they, uh, would they allow us uh, to bring him here to face charges? Wouldn't that be a spectacle to see? I mean, of all things, to see Prince Andrew dragged away in handcuffs man oh man uh but this is this is big it's uh i know it's a long hot summer everybody's talking about everything else coronavirus the elections coming up and let me mention the election too this is sort of a, an aside but i was thinking about this today when i was writing my article for medium.com i was thinking and maybe this is maybe i'm 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 getting too conspiracy 
too much of a conspiracy theorist perspective on this, but could this be possibly Trump? Could Trump be somehow behind this, pushing prosecutors to bring this to a close before the election? Because at this point, <laughs> Trump has no friends, really. I mean, if you think about it, he has very few Republican friends. And of course, he has no friends at all on the Democrat side. So could this be basically, uh, you know, Trump's last stand uh, where he's going to basically bring it all down with him if he doesn't get reelected, that he's going to be able to expose all of these people? Uh, I mean, who knows? I honestly thought this was going to be just swept under the rug. I really didn't think, honestly, that we were going to see anything more about the Jeffrey Epstein case. But we've heard, you know, just a little bit of percolating going on regarding uh, Prince Andrew, and they just want to ask him some questions. Um, you know, he's not facing charges at this point. But but that doesn't sound good for Prince Andrew. It almost sounds like, yeah, he really is going to face charges, and they don't want to come out and say that. That that sort of is what it sounds like code for. Um, but, but wow, this is explosive and, uh, it's something to watch over the summer. And, uh, so what we're looking at is coming out of the holiday weekend here. Uh, so she will be, uh, probably, uh, in that same, uh, holding, uh, facility in Manhattan that Epstein was held in. Uh, and that's, that's kind of spooky to think about the, just the irony of that. And then you wonder how quickly does this all you know, move. Uh, so obviously she'll be, uh, facing charges. Uh, you know, she'll have a, a bail hearing probably be refused bail. I'm sure because of her extensive international traveling and also her, you know, obvious wealth that she has. Um, so she'll probably be denied bail. And then what happens, how long before we start hearing the rest of the story? How long before we start getting details and we start seeing other people charged? Uh, I don't know how quickly something like this moves along. Maybe it could be within a matter of a month or six weeks that we start seeing other individuals roped in and charged. Uh, but I keep saying, and I said this in my medium.com article, that this is really all linked to the question of where Epstein's money came from because the idea of somebody just giving you a $70 million house, the most expensive individual residence at, at that time in Manhattan, you're my good friend. I'm going to give you a $70 million house. Uh, okay. These, these kinds of things just don't happen in the real world. Uh, Epstein, you know, flying around the world with, with, with Clinton, uh, all the flights Clinton made, what was it, 27 flights on that plane. Uh, but yet he wasn't involved in any of this. And I also wonder from a political standpoint, I was uh, talking to my wife about this. Speaking of Bill Clinton and speaking of Jeffrey Epstein in this whole deal, could it be that the reason that that Hillary stayed out this time around is because of things heating up with the Jeffrey Epstein case? I've got to believe that she has her own inside sources. And if she knew that this case was was continuing to be pursued and that they were after Jelaine Maxwell 
and that Jelaine Maxwell would eventually be arrested, she'd have to realize what that could mean. And I don't know, you know, I don't know any more than anybody else what involvement Bill Clinton had other than the 27 uh, flights that he was on. I mean, that's that's all I know. I don't know anything more than that. But I do. It does make me wonder uh, what really did happen. And and if Hillary knows what Bill was involved with and Hillary knew that this case was continuing on and there was a focus on Jelaine Maxwell and an eventual arrest of Jelaine Maxwell, she would have to understand that uh, this would not be a good time for her to be in the spotlight running for president. I don't know. Some people have speculated that Hillary just decided, hey, it's Bill's turn. I'm sorry that it's a Biden's turn. And uh, she wasn't going to run out of courtesy for Joe Biden. I'm not sure that she's that nice. <laughs> I, I just I'm not sure that I believe that. I think uh, there might be more to it than that. And this could very well be the reason that Hillary knew that this case was ongoing and that, uh, you know, after the arrest of of Epstein last year, she figured the best option for her is to uh, lay low and keep a low profile. And I'm also going to mention to my producer who is in the other room that we don't have Dylan Howard yet on the line. So I'm wondering if uh, if Joy, my producer, can work on uh, maybe giving him a, a reminder call or making sure he has our phone number here in the studio so we can get him lined up uh, in the next minute. Well, we're doing that. Uh, just a reminder that my article is up right now at medium.com. And the article is all about, I'm speculating a little bit in the article, but about the possibility that Jeffrey Epstein may have hid a lot of his wealth in cryptocurrency. Um, and I, I, I point out some interesting things. I think you'll find the article interesting as I speculate about Epstein's involvement potentially with cryptocurrency. And I raised the question, do we really know how much money Epstein ultimately uh, died with? I mean, his net worth, according to his probate documents, was a little bit over a half a billion dollars, which still, you know, raises a lot of eyebrows. That's a lot of money, especially for a guy that has only one client. <laughs> and really, you know, no one really knows legitimately what kind of business that he was in. Uh, that's a lot of money in and of itself. But I kind of wonder, with all of his connections to uh, people in science and also him being a supposed math genius, uh, that he would not have had a particular interest in cryptocurrency. I mean, after all, he's a guy whose expertise is hiding money. And a guy whose expertise is hiding money and uh, keeping yourself anonymous internationally with financial transactions, you would think he would have an interest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So in any case, uh, that is my article right now over at medium.com. And I am told uh, that our good friend Dylan Howard is with us. Of course, uh, Dylan is the author of Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. And he's with us tonight live to talk about the arrest of Jelaine Maxwell. Dylan Howard, good to have you back with us, sir. It's great to be with you. I have to start by by asking you, were you, you probably were because you're in the loop, but were you surprised 
that they arrested Jelaine Maxwell because I, I was sort of sitting back here thinking maybe the feds just forgot about the whole thing and they weren't going to ever pursue her. No, look, I think that, uh, well, I can tell you that she was very optimistic that she wouldn't be uh, indicted. Um, and I'll explain that in more detail as the interview continues. I was not surprised that she was arrested. She effectively was the highest target possible for the Southern District of New York to prosecute in the wake of Jeffrey Epstein's suicide. And I believe they gathered a significant amount of evidence over the last 12 months on Ghislaine Maxwell that ultimately led to that six-count indictment. Now, as we know, Ghislaine has denied that she did anything wrong, uh, but the reality was people around her, including her lawyers, um, and my understanding, Alan Dershowitz, believed that the immunity agreement or the plea deal that Jeffrey Epstein struck in 2008 afforded for alleged co-conspirators also not to be charged and receive immunity, i.e. Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, just like the Southern District of New York did with Jeffrey Epstein, they arrested him despite the fact that he had this plea deal. And their argument was that the 2008 deal only applied to specific U.S. attorney's office in Florida that made that agreement, not all 94 federal prosecutors' offices in the country. So if I was a betting person, I would tell you that Ghislaine Maxwell would base her defense on this claim because it's never been, as a matter of law, litigated, put simply whether that plea deal was and is still binding. Um, it's not been tested in a court of law because ultimately Epstein was found dead in his cell. But I think it would be a foolish route for her to try and even attempt to defend this indictment. Now, did you find it surprising that she entered into a $1 million real estate transaction? Uh, I went over this in my first segment with our listeners, the means that she went to to keep that anonymous, using an LLC, keeping her name off of the deed, uh, using no financing, all of that. But nonetheless, even just moving a million dollars uh, is going to, uh, you know, put you on the radar, especially if you're being monitored. Uh, did you find it surprising that she would make a real estate purchase like that in December of last year? Well, now that we know every move that she has made, I'm completely surprised that she didn't take this route. Um, and this feeds into the element that she was so confident that that prior deal would save her from being up you-know-what creek without a paddle. She could have used her vast resources to board a private jet and flee to France, where she holds a passport and has citizenship, and where the extradition process is notoriously arduous. Let's not forget about Roman Polanski and his great vanishing act before he could ever face justice after pleading guilty to the statutory rape of a 13-year-old girl in 1997, 
at actor Jack Nicholson's home, he fled the US and has been residing in France ever since. So it would have made logical sense that if Maxwell believed she was facing criminal exposure, she would have used all of her means, that citizenship, the 15 bank accounts with balances ranging from hundreds of thousands of dollars to more than $20 million to evade justice as the feds bore down on her. Instead, she buys a million-dollar, 156-acre property in Bradford, New Hampshire, which again suggests she didn't believe that she would ever be charged. Yeah, I'm with you on that because uh, I think uh, I think that they may have uh, played a little bit of uh, possum with her and, and maybe just made it appear like the case had kind of uh, gone dormant uh, when it really didn't. Um, what about over the last few months, uh, Dylan, all of these We'd occasionally hear in the news that maybe they know where she's at and maybe they don't know where she's at and all of these various uh, speculations about where she actually could have been. Um, it, has she been in that New Hampshire compound possibly since she bought it in, in December? Or do you have any reason to believe she's been moving around the world? Well, she has been moving around the world. The feds have said that they registered her existence um, at one point being in Japan, um, at another point being in other countries, um, cross making cross-country routes. Um, but certainly this place was secluded. She wouldn't have to interact with others. She was said to be... Uh, She'd set up a new computer alias as GMAX because, as we know, uh, if you are the target of a criminal probe, the government has significant access uh, to being able to track you forensically through the internet and through technology um, and really wouldn't have to interact with many people. But that was sort of consistent with... Um, how she has been for a number of years. He was someone who was a fixture on the social set in Manhattan and now no longer is for good reason. Um, and she took a, a step back from pu the public limelight. How convinced are you that she knows everything? I'm, I'm convinced of that, but you are much closer to this case than I am. And, of course, uh, the headlines are all about Jeffrey Epstein bringing all these secrets to his grave. Uh, but these secrets are not in the grave. They're actually with Jelaine Maxwell. Are they not? Look, they are. She is the custodian of this information. Um, since inmate 76318-054, yes, I know that's Jeffrey Epstein's uh, inmate number at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York. Gislaine has been the custodian of this, you know, what people have called an empire of dirt that he built up over more than three decades working as an intelligence source for Israel, Saudi Arabia, Russia and others. Um, this is how uh, Gislaine and Jeffrey Epstein amassed their respective fortunes. Now, Make no mistake, in the wake of Jeffrey Epstein's death, Gislaine was the top of the food chain. She was number one target. So the question now will be, 
is that enough for the Southern District of New York? Will law enforcement officials cut a deal with Ghislaine for compromising information on others if they've already got a slam dunk case against her because she is the big fish? Now, the SDNY might look at that dirt and there could be some consequential charges laid against uh, prominent individuals as a result, but Ghislaine's inevitable incarceration, and I think that is set in stone, represents justice to the victims that was lost when Epstein died. So I think there are three uh, routes that she could pursue in her defence. One would be to accept a plea bargain if offered, but it's going to be a long time before she sees freedom. Um, if she takes a plea deal and pleads guilty to certain charges, there would be likely concessions from the prosecutions, such as a lower sentence, um, or she might plead to a lesser crime. Two, she could fight this indictment in court, but I think most criminal defence attorneys would say that would be a foolish move because you face 35 years in prison and you're likely going to rot in hell. Um, so the third option would be to spill her guts and turn whistleblower and spell out like a roadmap how the Epstein blackmail and sex trafficking network operated, where and how, including those high-powered figures and notable names who were involved. Now, to do that, she would have to make an unforgivable turn on a number of friends. But at last, we could learn the truth about Prince Andrew, Leslie Wexner, the Victoria's Secrets retail tycoon, former President Bill Clinton, billionaire hedge funder Glenn Jubin, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, Larry Summers, the ex-Harvard president, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, and former Maine Senator George Mitchell, among others. Now, it's critical to note that all of these men have denied any wrongdoing with regards to their involvement with Epstein. But I'm told from sources close to Ghislaine that she will never turn on Prince Andrew and most likely not Clinton. But she's not going to have a choice should she choose to sing. If you tell on one, you must tell on all. And that is the only way in my mind that she can get the least amount of jail time in this six-count indictment. So she's facing an epic legal and diplomatic struggle about what to do next. And I think that's going to be the most fascinating element of this case. And one of the things, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, I wrote an article about it three weeks ago, I spoke to the public spokesperson for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to just get an update on the investigation into the 2008 sweetheart deal. If you remember our governor here in Florida, Ron DeSantis, he issued orders uh, last year. It's been about a year uh, that he wanted an investigation into that 2008 deal. And I thought it was interesting that nothing has been said about it. And months and months and months have passed. And I've been in regular touch with the FDLE. And the FDLE's latest position on it is there's nothing to say about it. And it's still ongoing. 
And I, I find it interesting wow. that it would take so long. And I'm wondering if you think that we'll find out more about the sweetheart deal. In other words, could this house of cards include Alex Acosta and other people that might have somehow been, I don't know, blackmailed or coerced or or bribed or whatever the scenario was that Epstein got that ridiculous 13 month sentence when he might have faced uh, the rest of his life in prison? Well, the reality of the situation is that a lot of information to do with this case has not been released because you have an active matter, i.e. Ghislaine Maxwell's arrest. So they're never going to release information as part of the probe um, as to how he, he, being Epstein, received that secret plea deal more than a decade ago for molesting underage girls. Um, but what I can tell you is that you know, this deal had been described as the plea deal of the century. Um, but what we, what people don't know is, and I have the actual document dated April 17, 2016, the former Palm Beach County State Attorney, Barry Krischer, offered the sex fiend an even sweeter sweetheart deal. Um, the reality was... Assistant State Attorney uh, Lana Bella, I, I can't pronounce his name, but I'm going to have a go. Bella Lahav um, wrote to Jeffrey Epstein's attorney, Guy Fronston, um, and she said, By this letter, I'm confirming the offer of settlement to your client, Jeffrey Epstein. Should you accept this settlement, the state will not proceed with grand jury proceedings tomorrow. Plea to aggravated assault with intent to commit a felony, a third degree felony. Adjudication will be withheld and your client will be placed on a five-year probation with the following conditions. No contact direct or indirect with the victim. No contact with minors unless supervised by an approved adult with knowledge of the underlying facts, but in no case shall the supervising adult be his, and I put this in parentheses, former assistants Nadia and Sarah. A psychosexual evaluation and successful completion of any recommended treatment, full payment of the costs of the investigation by the Palm Beach PD, and may apply for early termination of probation after three years if there are no violations and all conditions have been successfully completed. Now, I quote, as I say, from that document dated April 17, 2016. So, Jeffrey Epstein was offered a deal that he rejected that would have saw or seen him Never, ever enter into a prison. And I have to ask this question. What sort of prosecutor would do that? Would enter into a deal that is even sweeter than the sweetheart deal? And therein lies the mega million dollar question. Who helped cover this up? Why did they cover it up? And how and why did the man that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, once called a terrific guy, become one of the world's most evil criminals and, and evade justice for so long? What do you make of this judge 
that recently ordered that the uh, the list uh, be destroyed from the civil case, uh, the list of individuals from the so-called black black book, if I understand it correctly. So not only is the judge not releasing that information, but is ordering anybody who might have it, uh, the lawyers for the other side must destroy it. Uh, what's going on with that deal? We're going to see a flurry of motions over the course of the next couple of weeks in which the Southern District of New York is going to take a very proactive uh, position in retaining all evidence associated with Gislaine Maxwell's involvement in this particular situation. Uh, the SDNY is notorious for only taking upon an indictment if they believe they have an unimpeachable case. So let's think about that. They likely already have that evidence. But what does this actually mean? It means that Maxwell is nailed to the cross, that the indictment is so secure that if it were to play out before a jury of her, peer, a jury of her peers, they believe that Maxwell will definitely get 30, 35 years behind bars and likely suffer a harsher sentence than if they were than if than if she was to admit wrongdoing by form of a plea deal. But you have to understand how they got to this position. A case is assembled like building blocks. From the threat of prosecution comes cooperation from witnesses or subjects, which is the second class of a federal investigation. So you can be a witness, a subject, or a target. They likely identified a number of subjects that were alleged co-conspirators. It could have been, hypothetically, a maid, a pilot. It could have been a driver, anyone associated with any evidence. Now, in the building block process, they flip someone, that block gets added to the stack of assembled evidence, and it leads law enforcement officials to new evidence and edged them close to proving beyond a reasonable doubt that someone was guilty of a crime. So they finally were able to get all the evidence they needed to prosecute Ghislaine Maxwell. And that's why she's in such a precarious position, because rarely does the SDNY go to court to litigate these types of cases. Typically, a defendant will uh, take a plea to avoid uh, a harsher sentence. What are your thoughts on Prince Andrew? All we're hearing in the news is this constant drumbeat that the feds just want to, quote unquote, talk with him. And then he says, oh, I've, I've always been available to talk to them. But then we hear other stories that know it's just his lawyers will will talk to them, but he won't make himself personally available uh, for for an interview. And, of course, won't come here to the United States. Um, could we possibly see someone like a Prince Andrew charged and extradited from the UK. I mean, I, I can't imagine that, but could that happen? Attorney General William Barr has said that they will not extradite uh, Prince Andrew, but that was framed within the question of his cooperation with the Southern District following uh, the former 
U.S. attorney for the SDNY, Jeffrey Berman's comment, comments. Now, following Maxwell's arrest, Audrey Strauss, who is the acting U.S. attorney, said she would, quote, welcome Prince Andrew coming in to talk with us. Now, a welcome is, a hard, is hardly a convincing demand <laughs> for an interrogation, which leads me back to the point that I made. Will law enforcement officials simply be content having nailed the big fish? Do they have evidence? against Prince Andrew that is overwhelming that if they were to charge him that he would be kept found convicted uh, in a court of law. The SDNY will not take up a case and prosecute a case if they do not believe that they will win the case. So I think, to be brutally honest, Prince Andrew um, will want to submit to written questions. He will want some form of assurance that if he cooperates, he will not be prosecuted, i.e. a non-prosecution agreement or a immunity agreement. The question that I have is, is he a witness, a subject, or a target, those classifications that I mentioned earlier, I believe that he's somewhere between a witness and a target. They don't quite know if he's done anything wrong. Um, but they don't know whether it rises to the level of being a subject, that is, that he potentially may have committed a crime. Now, one of the victims has said that he did, um, but it's that, unfortunately, is a she-said-he-said situation. Unless, of course, Kislein Maxwell sings like a canary. One of the questions that I've had about this for a couple of years is, is there something going on behind the sex trafficking that could also be a treasure trove of indictments, such as something as simple as money laundering, uh, that there is something going on financially behind the scenes and maybe Prince Andrew and some of these others are involved. Maybe it's tax evasion. Maybe it's money laundering. Uh, maybe it's violation of the U.S. Bank Secrecy Act. Uh, any number of things along those lines. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, one of the big questions about Epstein and now Maxwell has been how were, how were they able to amass such wealth without really having a job? And we explore this in my book, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales, which was released last November. And we uncovered that Epstein and Ghislaine were known spies, two people who ran a complex intelligence operation for the purpose of blackmailing powerful individuals and politicians in the United States and abroad. Now, inevitably... If she was to defend this in court, it would become an open secret about who enabled one of the world's worst sexual predators to roam free for decades on American soil and likely with the knowledge of the government. Now, be careful what you wish for. If you want to go down a rabbit hole it might take you to a more sinister place and an inconvenient truth. And that then that therein draws in the whole 
notion of Jeffrey Berman being fired and was this a move, and this is just speculation, was this a move to prevent the potential arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell and cover up the US government's knowledge of this intelligence operation? I tell you what, if it does come out, the espionage scandal that is Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell would be so enthralling that it could forever tarnish the legacies of a number of former high-profile individuals and noted law enforcement officials, the same people who are supposed to enforce the law and defend the interests of the American people. It does uh, make an interesting timeline to look at the firing of Jeffrey Berman, and then all of a sudden you have this arrest. I mean, you would think just... I'm thinking from behind the scenes now, just in terms of managing all of this, you would think even if they had uh, good reasons politically or otherwise to fire Berman with this arrest coming up in this case to to have the turmoil of of a, a changeover in that office. It doesn't make sense to me that wh- whatever issue they had with Berman, they would have said, look, let's let this guy ride out uh, at least uh, through the arrest uh, and, and initial indictment and, and all of the arraignment process and at least getting this this case around the corner before we create that type of turmoil in that office. Your thoughts? I Listen, I, it just seems odd that Berman would have been fired two weeks before they arrested Maxwell, knowing that they had eyes on Maxwell, which means Barr knew they had eyes on Maxwell. Um it's a baffling question and one which I can't provide an answer for. Uh, only William Barr can answer why Berman was fired. And I think we'll find out more when Berman speaks before um, the Senate Judiciary Committee, I believe it is, potentially as soon as this week, um, about what took place and what he believes was the reason for why he was fired. And final question what does the timeline look like here? We've been waiting so long for answers. Are we still months away from any answers in this case? Is this going to move uh, very slowly, uh, probably like I expect it will? Or is this something where uh, we might have answers quickly? Well, the last 12 months have felt like a real life legal thriller in many ways because we knew that the SDNY was working on this. What is perplexing to me is why she's still in a New Hampshire jail and not at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan, which is likely where she has to be transferred in order for the SDNY to have meaningful discussions with her lawyers. They're going to put the options to her, accept a plea deal, go to trial, or blow the whistle. And she's going to be the most watched prisoner in the Metropolitan Correctional Center because the Department of Justice, for all its good work in arresting Ghislaine Maxwell, cannot risk having another death in custody, especially with someone linked to such a high-profile case. Yeah, I don't think the public could could accept another suicide. I I I'm laughing, but I I just I I, I mean it would be beyond it would be beyond any bad novel. The, this the time the storyline if if there was another quote unquote suicide 
it, it would it would be beyond belief. And and I don't think people would would stand for it. And I think you're 100 percent right. Dylan Howard, uh, tell us what the latest is with you. Um, are you still uh, launching any new podcasts? Tell us about uh, the Epstein book. Will there be another book coming out? Will there be a, an addendum to the present book? Uh, any updates to uh, the podcast about Epstein? Uh, tell us everything that's going on with you, sir. So, yes, there is indeed uh, a sequel to this book, which was actually announced in December last year, but has taken on um, far more important. It's to be released on October 6th. Uh, it is titled Epstein Inc., How the U.S. Government Helped Make Spying and Blackmail Big Business. The reality is there is so much more to this story that is untold that is unfolding at rapid speed. And I would be lying with you, Jim, if I didn't tell you I'm withholding some information because some of the details that we have and the documents that we have found and obtained and continue to research will form the basis for Epstein, Inc. And this came about on the eve of publication of that first book, a chance meeting with a whistleblower from Epstein's innermost circle that transformed this story hmm. from a personal pursuit into a geopolitical thriller. When does that book come out? October 6th. But in the meantime, this Tuesday, bad, an unprecedented investigation into the Michael Jackson cover-up is my latest book being released. Oh, wow. Well, definitely have my producer uh, get with you on that. And uh, uh, tell me about the podcasts. Did they Did they officially end... Or was the final episode delayed because of the COVID thing? Because I was following both the JFK Jr. Uh, podcast of yours and also the um, the the John Benet Ramsey podcast, and they both seem to suddenly end around the time of the COVID shutdown. Will there be any more episodes of those podcasts? There, we are in talks with a major uh, studio in California to do an update on uh, the Epstein uh, series. I think there could be no more pertinent time yes. to do that. So um, those those podcasts did conclude in their uh, entirety. Um, however, you can imagine that uh, myself and the investigative team behind uh, Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales are very eager, very, very eager to get uh, our next book and research out. Sounds like there's several more books <laughs> with this whole Epstein story. Uh, just just yeah. unreal. Dylan Howard, thank you so much for being with us, sir. Uh, Godspeed and uh, keep okay. up keep up the great work. And uh, uh, word to my producer <laughs> who's listening in the next room. Uh, let's rebook Dylan Howard to talk about his uh, book about Michael Jackson. Wow, that sounds incredible. All right. Great show tonight. Thanks, everybody uh, who's watching us on the live video feed. I sort of pressed the button. We did that tonight for the first time to put it out on multiple platforms video. Uh, so that's kind of our new deal. And I'm going to connect it to some more video platforms. So, you know, maybe I'll be everywhere soon. Maybe I'll be streaming on your television set in your living room soon. In any case, uh, remember, the website is ChristianMoney.com. Check out my latest article over at Medium. Dot com And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.